invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're in the Gospel of John. Those of you new to the faith or exploring Christianity, uh, the book of John's in the back of the Bible, so you go to the middle and you just turn right and you'll find it after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those major Gospels. So we're in John 1. Uh, as you open, uh, I would say if you don't have a Bible, at the end of each row we've uh, put Bibles on the floor, so feel free to grab one of those and use those yourself. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take it as a gift from us to you. Uh, we're glad you're here, and we're honored to provide you what we think is a, an incredibly valuable gift. Okay, so we're walking through the book of John. We're looking at Christ who satisfies, and, uh, and that's part of our value as a church is we want to honor Christ above all things. And so that's why we're starting our very first series here in this brand new church around Jesus himself. Last week, we saw... John the Baptist actually honor Christ above all. His kind of rhythm of life was, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And today, we're going to see Jesus up close and personal, calling us to consider him and even follow. So look at me, look with me at John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything come good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for what you've said in this word. Now we pray you'd open our hearts and minds as we listen. Speak through the speaker. He needs you. We pray your spirit would fill him. This would be a demonstration of the spirit's power. And we pray that you'd be honored above all. Help us, Lord, now to come and to see. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you have heard me tell stories about this, but four summers ago, um, I went on a trip out west to British Columbia, Canada with a bunch of friends on what I call our midlife crisis trip. And we went to to do one big thing. We were going to go uh, mountaineering up a mountain. Uh, Some would call it a hike. This was not a hike. This was mountaineering. We went from sea level 8,600 feet to the top of a mountain in British Columbia, Canada. So you can imagine this, the morning we get, we're going to do this big trip, we get all packed up with our 60-pound packs on our back, and we take a boat ride to where the head of the trail was, and we it got to the head of the trail, we prayed together on the dock before we went up the, the trail, and then we started walk, walking on the trail, and it was rough from the very beginning. I mean, this trail was straight up like this. We're going traipsing up with these packs on our back. So we do this for an hour or two. And it's just like a straight incline like this the whole time. And me, I'm dying. I mean, I'm dying. I got this pack on my back, and I'm heaving. My legs are killing me. And so at one point, I pull one of our guides aside while everybody's kind of walking and struggling. I say, dude, I got to tell you, I don't know if I can make this. We're going to be doing this for five days, and I'm having a hard time getting started. And I said, you know, what I don't want is a helicopter flying in and getting me and taking me out of here because I'm half dead. So after, he said, well, just wait a few minutes. So we got to a place and we finished walking. We sat down for a little rest. And what he did over those next few moments is he taught us how to, how to walk up a mountain. And basically what you do is this. When you take a step, you lock your knee. You take another step up, you lock your knee. Step, lock, step, lock. That's how you do it. You put all your weight on your skeleton instead of the muscles of your legs. And so that's what he taught us. And then he told me this interesting thing. He said, after, after this, he said, now here's what I want you to do. Stick with me. Stay near me. So he teaches me how to walk, us how to walk, and then he calls me in particular, the one who's struggling the most, how to walk and to stay near him. I got to tell you, the beautiful news is we made it up the mountain and back down because I learned that simple step. And truthfully, I stayed with the guide the whole time, up and down. Well, guys, today in John chapter 1, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about, how Jesus the Christ calls us to stick near him, to walk with him, and to personally engage him as he teaches us how to walk and to follow him as the Lord of all. So, let's dive into our text today. Here's our question. What does it mean when Jesus invites us to walk with him and in his way to follow him? Well, to discover that, we're going to look at a series of calls to follow that show up in our text here in John chapter 1. And we get a look in the process of what a life of following Jesus really looks like. So, let's dive in. And look at the calls to walk with Jesus. The context is this. The last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, has been busy as the resident rock star of first century Judea. He's been calling Jews to repentance. But even more, what we learned in last week is in John 1, he's been relentlessly talking about this coming Christ, this guy who the Jews have been waiting for for centuries, coming and being the Messiah, the Savior they had all longed for. 
That was last week. And what we looked at in that text last week. And what John did was he highlighted the whole time by saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, look at what he says in our text today in John 1.35. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with one of his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. There it is. John's doing it again. This is the second time in just a few verses he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he tells his own followers, two disciples in particular, there he is. That's the guy I've been talking about all along, and you need to check him out. And you know what he's doing in the process is John is basically saying, hey, you disciples, you need to go and be his disciples. Now, what's happening here is pretty amazing. There's a series of events, a cluster of events over several days where several people encounter Jesus and hear his call to follow. And in fact, it's over several days. I say that because in verses 29, 35, 43 of our chapter, it keeps saying the next day, the next day, the next day. So it's all happening at once. So here what has happened is there are basically four calls to Jesus in our text. Four calls to Jesus that we're going to highlight. And the first is in our text, in verse 35, where John points two disciples to Christ. We know one of the disciples from the text is actually Andrew a guy named Andrew. However, there's another guy who's a kind of mystery disciple of John. Most, um, most commentators and in church traditions suggest that the mystery disciple in this text is actually the writer of this very book, the Apostle John. Uh, and that we're not absolutely sure, but it sure would make sense. The details we get here in this text about what happened sound a whole lot like an eyewitness account of what happened. The second call that happens in our text after uh, uh, Andrew engages um, Jesus is Jesus shows up in verses 40 through 42, and Andrew tells Simon Peter about Jesus. It even says that Andrew brought him, that is Simon Peter, to Jesus. I mean, this is the powerful imagery of calling by someone bringing someone to Jesus. The third call, the third call to Jesus shows up in verses 43 through 44, where Jesus moves over into Galilee. He takes a little uh, walk, and there he meets a guy named Philip and calls Philip to follow him. In other words, Jesus is making a direct appeal to someone to follow him. The fourth call to Jesus shows up in verses 45 through 47, where Philip calls a guy named Nathaniel to check out Jesus. Some in church history, just so you know, think Nathaniel uh, goes by another name, Bartholomew. That is one of the names of, of one of the apostles that are often listed throughout the Gospels. In whatever case... What this text is telling us is that at least three and likely five of the 12 apostles of Jesus are being called to follow him. What are some observations we can make about these four calls to follow Jesus? Well, first, did you notice um, each person comes to Christ in a very different way and in different means? The implication being there's no one way to come to Christ except with the gospel and by faith. Jesus brings, himself, brings us to himself rather 
in many different ways. Second thing I'd highlight is Jesus greets these men in interesting ways, doesn't he? He meets Peter for the first time and immediately gives him the name, the nickname rather, Rock, which comes in Aramaic as Cephas or in uh, Greek as Peter. Now, he's not calling him Rocky, you know, like, hey, Rock, but Rock is in a, a physical rock. Now, you've got to think about that for a second. That's a pretty forward thing to do. I mean, how often do you meet somebody for the first time, and their first impulse is, I'm going to give you a nickname right now. I'm going to rename you. Most of us would probably kind of bristle at that, wouldn't we? Well, in a, what's happening here is God actually does throughout Scripture. Uh, in fact, throughout Scripture, you'll find that God changes the names of people when he engages them. You can think of Jacob. His name is changed to Israel, or Saul, an apostle, who later was named Paul. In other words, this is an act of sovereignty, shifting the identity of Peter long before he'd actually come to fruition in that identity. Because if you think about Peter, he isn't exactly a rock, is he? If we look in the rest of the uh, Gospels, he's actually he's volatile, he's unreliable, he's pushy and prideful. But Jesus calls him a rock because walking with Jesus would ultimately change Peter into a rock. Third observation we make of this text is Jesus doesn't seem to mind engaging someone like Nathaniel. Why do I bring that up? Well, Nathaniel was clearly a skeptic. Nathaniel came to Jesus with questions and doubts about his origins. He was from Nazareth. And that immediately kind of created some kind of uh, thoughts that went through Nathaniel's mind about who Jesus was. Maybe it was a kind of city rivalries like you'll find if you've been around Charlotte long enough, you'll know that Charlotte has a bit of a rivalry with Raleigh and Raleigh with Charlotte. It's that kind of rivalry that was going on perhaps. But whatever the case, whatever preconceptions and skepticism that Nathaniel brought to Jesus, it didn't scare him. Jesus didn't mind. In fact, he was willing to engage the skeptic. That's good news for you and for me. That's good news for us because some of us here have really big questions about God. Some of us here, whether we're exploring Christianity anew or even have been believers for a long time, have these thoughts and feelings going on in our head and our hearts around who God is and what he's really about. And the gospel here is really clear. Jesus loves skeptics. Jesus doesn't mind skeptics. It's not off-putting to him. He's big enough to handle the questions. So here's what I'd say when you're struggling with your skepticism, whether you're exploring Christianity for the first time, or if you even have your skepticism as a believer and wonder about things, bring the goods. Ask the questions. Don't be afraid. God is eager to hear from you. Don't be afraid to engage Christ with your doubts. But here's the thing with doubts. You've got to be, have intellectual integrity about them. Here's what I mean. You not only have to deal with your doubts about Jesus, intellectual integrity means you've got to be willing to doubt your doubts. Fourth observation I make, and this comes even closer to home for most of us here. Jesus asks an interesting question in, in, in John 1.38. Especially when John the Baptist's disciples come to him, he asks this question, what are you seeking? And the disciples say, hey, we want to come and hang out with you. Where are you staying? 
Where are you living? Where are you abiding, if you will? That's the same word you find later on in John 15. You've got to ask, why is Jesus saying this? I mean, John the Baptist is like giving him two disciples. Why would he say, wait, wait a minute, what are you seeking? Why is he pausing in the process? Well, what this tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is someone uh, who wants us to come to him, but he'll inevitably with all of us get to the real question, what are you looking for from him? Why are you engaging him? What are you about with regards to him? Think about it. We've seen this also in uh, Matthew chapter 8 where two individuals are noted as saying that they want to follow Jesus wherever he goes, but he tells one of them, he gives pause and tells one of them, he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. See, Jesus gives pause in coming to him because he wants people like you and me, like Andrew and even John, to really consider who he is and what he's actually about and what he requires of us as Lord and Savior And here's what you're going to find. If you ask that question, deal with that question, you'll find that Jesus is very different. He's very different and way more than we thought he would be. One of the great leaders of the 20th century uh, in politics and a famous man was Mahatma Gandhi. Of course, Gandhi is well known uh, for being an Indian who led his people in independence uh, from uh, the rule of the British Empire. Uh, he was famed for his nonviolence in that process. Even our, our own Martin Luther King learned from him in this way in many ways. Gandhi, if you may not know this, was an admirer of Jesus. He talked about him very regularly. Uh, Gandhi would often say of Jesus, quote, that he was a man who was completely innocent, offered himself up as a sacrifice for the good of others. It was a perfect act. Gandhi would say that. And we'd say, yeah, yeah, that's right, Gandhi. But listen, Gandhi would also say this. He would say, Jesus was a great teacher and example, but I do not accept that Jesus was God or the Son of God. Now here's someone, Gandhi, a respectable man who did a great thing in history, who comes to Jesus wanting a great example, wanting good, nonviolent teaching from Jesus, which is all well and good. But Gandhi didn't want Jesus for all of who he was. Jesus asks, what are you seeking to get us thinking? Are you ready for all of Jesus? Are we just picking and choosing what we want to believe about him? What we'll find with the first disciples is Jesus is way more than we can expect or imagine. He's way more than we normally think of him. And he asks way more of us than anyone else has ever asked of us. In our lives. In fact, Jesus calls us to give him everything. That brings us to the principles of following the Christ. Notice in our text that when he engages the disciples, he gives two profound statements in this chapter. He says, Come and see in verse 39, and then follow me in verse 43. <clears throat> Philip goes on to echo these very words later on in verse 46 would come and see. What is Jesus getting at when he says these things to us? Why is he calling us to follow him? Is he saying, hey, I've got a great Twitter feed rolling, and I need followers, so would you please sign up? 
That's what we often think of following in our time, right? You know? Nope, he's not ta- looking for more Twitter followers. Is Jesus just saying, hey, why don't you just come over to the house, we'll hang, we'll watch a good football game, have a few brews together, whatever it takes, we're going to enjoy each other. Nah, Jesus is looking for way more than that. What Jesus is saying by follow me and come and see is this, leave it all behind. Leave it all behind and follow me as the Lord of your life. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story of an engaging, a ga- engaging story of Jesus with a, with a rich young ruler, apparently, who comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus calls the rich young ruler to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow him. And he, he means, in his case, literally selling everything. Now, I would not suggest to you that selling, literally selling everything is a universal application for all of us here. But the idea of making Jesus Lord over everything is. And that's what Jesus is saying when he calls us to follow him. He is saying, stop holding on to the things of this world that enamor us so much and actually give it up for a greater person in him. What, is it, what else does this mean to follow Jesus? Let me give you another example. Following Jesus means this. In, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says something else about following him. He says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. What does that mean? Well, the implication is very simple. If anyone wants to follow Jesus, you've got to be ready to die. In fact, the very nature of faith The very nature of following Jesus is giving up something, supremely yourself to Jesus. That feels like death. Anytime you give up something that feels like life to you, it actually feels like death. That is what Jesus is calling us to, this kind of life where we actually give ourselves up in many ways to him. There are then three principles of following that come out of all these calls to follow that I've kind of covered real quickly here in the New Testament. And the first is this. I don't know if you've thought about this, but follow me is effectively Jesus' absolute claim on our lives to make Christ the Lord of everything. Let me put it this way. Follow me is the same thing as the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Follow me coming from Jesus is if we can state it positively, not just you shall have no other gods before me, it's his way of saying you shall have me alone as your God. No other gods can compete. I am your God and I am your Lord. Look to me alone for life. That's what Jesus is getting at principally in this text. Second principle about following is Jesus is saying that following him is costly. Whenever someone follows Jesus, I mean, let's talk about what we gain. We gain salvation, eternal life, heaven, a new heavens and a new earth to come. We gain a new family. We have all kinds of spiritual blessings. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But for all the spiritual blessings we get, we will endure losses and hurts. Even in some cases around the world, persecution. Following Jesus sometimes results in broken relationships. Jesus puts it even this way in in Luke chapter 14 and other texts. He says, 
Considering following me means you've got to count the cost. It's like going to war or building something. You've got to pay attention at what it, what's at stake. Third principle that comes out of the call to follow Jesus is Jesus is calling those who would follow him to put on a new lifestyle that is consistent with his word and his ways and as a part of daily life. Here's what I mean. Following Jesus isn't just a one-time event that you did when you were a teenager or you did at a certain point in your life. It is a life. Every day you're following Jesus in faith and in repentance. You're seeking him as the one Lord. In fact, this very call to, to follow is a call to repentance, to walk with Christ every day. You know, that's how the scriptures talk about what it means to live in this living relationship with Christ, is you're daily walking with him. And following is the business of walking with Christ in a very real and palpable way, even with obedience. First uh, John talks about walking in Christ's footsteps. If you claim to follow Jesus, then, you've got to understand you're walking with him as a part of life. You're engaging him in every part of life. And he will engage you as well. I would put it this way. Following Jesus is a challenge. More of a challenge than you and I have ever known or experienced. For men like me who like a challenge, (laughs) this is bigger than anything you could ever do in your life. Following Jesus is a challenge, but it's also a wilder ride than you've ever experienced. Heard a great quote this week. A guy named Russell Moore talks about that in our time, or throughout the church's history, particularly American modern church history, we've talked about how we invite Jesus into our lives. That's a common parlance we use in our age. But I love Russell Moore. He always says something really cool, and he says this, Jesus doesn't want to be invited into your life. He doesn't want to be your dirty life with all its junk and sin and darkness. Nah, he wants to invite you and me into his life to enter into his world and to follow him on his terms as the Lord of all. That's what Jesus calls us to. And I got to tell you, if you follow him in his way, in his life, it's a wild ride. Here's what you'll find when you follow Jesus. And this is what real Christianity is like. You will find Jesus is incredibly unmanageable as a God. He will not accommodate you in everything. He will get in your business. He will disrupt your life. He's not trying to make it difficult. He's actually helped trying to point us on the proper path of following him. But sometimes he gets in the way. But as he gets in the way, I got to tell you, you'll also encounter his beauty, his love, his support, his power, his encouragement. In other words, Jesus is not an add-on God. And we, in our time, have a lot of add-on gods here in America. Where it's like, I want to follow this and that and that and that. We like our options as Americans. But Jesus says, there are no options with me. I'm not an add-on God. I want to be the center of everything. I want you to follow me in everything. So what that means is, Jesus is not the add-on God who makes you feel better about yourself. He's not always on your side on issues. He is not the one who improves your life with health and wealth. He is the revolutionary Christ who will overthrow every God in our lives. 
who will overthrow every idol that captures our hearts and our affections. And the result is he wants us to give him our highest love, our highest allegiance, our highest longings, and our best effort. Jesus loves us so much, he interrupts our lives, saying, come, follow me. He loves us so much, he won't let us have life on our terms, but wants us to live life on his terms. So that brings us to the final segment. What is a life of following Jesus like for us here and now? What can we do today? How can we begin with Christ and keep going with Christ? Let me break it down. The three commandments that Jesus gives us in this text. He says, come, see, and follow me. Come, see, and follow me. First, come to Jesus. This shows up in our text two times. This is a call to move toward Christ. To be curious. This is one of the things I had to learn about marriage and relationships with people. You know, I'm an engineer by trade. I wasn't always a pastor. And here's what that means. I can be relationally retarded sometimes. What I had to learn with my wife, who's unbelievably patient, people who know me and are my friends and who love me, is I had to learn to be curious. To ask them where they are. To lean in and be curious to listen to who they are. I encourage you to do the same with Jesus. Coming to Jesus means being curious, to seek him out. Several times in our text, there's this language, in fact, of seeking and finding the one. That's because the disciples were hungry. They were looking for the one who would save them from their sin and from this broken world we live in. What would coming to Jesus look like now? Well, I think some of us here need to wrestle with what Jesus says and to work out our questions and skepticism about him, using scripture in particular. Bring the doubts, but doubt your doubts. Don't be afraid to ask questions of yourself and to really deal with your preconceived notions of Jesus. And the beauty is we want SCPC to be a place where we walk with you in that, because a lot of us here have had those doubts and worked through those doubts and are working through doubts, even now. Secondly, some of us here are coming to church with wounds. You come to church, you come to Christ because you've been wounded by church. And I want to tell you, I know that. I've been wounded too. And I have to tell you, sometimes I've even wounded. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus invites us to even come with our wounds and to be honest with those, to be emotionally honest with him about where we are with him. He wants that. He will take you where you are and as you are in that midst. So that's come to Jesus. Then there's seeing Jesus. If you look throughout the text, you'll find this language of seeing everywhere. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a call to look at Jesus, to pay attention to him, to to not take Jesus for granted, but to engage him. Jesus promises that if you believe and follow him, you're going to see greater things than these. That's what he promised Nathaniel. And boy, did Nathaniel and the apostles see some amazing things in Jesus' life that plays out in the rest of the Gospels. But you and I can too. You and I can too. As we follow Jesus, we see the subtleties of what Jesus does in our life to provide what we need. We see what Jesus can do in a changed life. And sometimes... If you make yourself available and follow Jesus, you know what will happen? You'll even see that you get to be a part of somebody's life being changed. 
That's the glory of what it means to see Jesus with us. And here's the cool thing. If you see Christ in these ways, the only response is exactly what Nathaniel does in our text, is to worship. It's to see him and to respond with worship as a taste of what it'll be one day to see Jesus face to face in eternity. That brings us to the last thing. We've come to Jesus, we see Jesus, but we need to follow Jesus. This is a call to faith, to trust in Christ alone for your salvation, to answer to him as your only king. I mean, look at Nathaniel in our text. He heard about Jesus, he responded with skepticism, he meets Jesus face to face. Jesus says these just really basic things like, hey, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel, as a result, says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Some of us here might be ready to walk with Jesus for the very first time in our life. And I would say to you, this is all you need to do. Receive Christ by faith. Go home, go to a quiet place by yourself, pray to Jesus about your need, your brokenness, where you are, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Receive him as the one who will redeem you in every circumstance. Then, after you do that, tell someone about it. Tell us. We'd love to know. That's the kind of stuff we worship Jesus about. That's where we see Jesus at work, even in our own midst as a church, and we want to celebrate with you because there you begin a new life with Christ. Nathaniel was amazed when he saw Jesus, when he encountered him face to face. The skeptic was tamed in our text. And how did it all begin? He came and he saw. He followed Jesus, and it changed his life. I don't know if you heard, but this week, there was a painting that was sold internationally for $450 million. It is supposedly a Leonardo da Vinci original. $450 million. That's a lot of money. Somebody bought that. We don't know who, apparently, but somebody bought it. You know what the painting is a painting of? Jesus. It's actually a dignified picture of the Christ. Somebody paid $450 million for that da Vinci picture of Christ. You know what's beautiful about that? is that somebody paid for that believing it was worth something. I say if you come see Jesus face to face, you might understand why he's worth everything. Come and see. Jesus says, follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, praise you for this word that you've spoken to us. and. We are a people, Lord, who are distracted by so many things in this world. And you name it, Lord, we're often looking at other things. But here you are, Lord, calling us to look to you. Calling us to give you attention like we never have and to follow. And we pray today, Lord, that for those of us who've never known you, that you would give us the courage to go home and do business with you and ask you, to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, to be the one we've always longed for who would rescue us when no one else could. 
And for those of us who have called on you, maybe even walked with you for 20 years, 30 years, you would renew us with a longing to know you, to look in places about you and your glory in Scripture and let our ears help us to see your wonders. Praise your name that we can know you and follow you and even walk with you is a part of our journey home. In Christ's name, amen.